During the finals, a clutch teammate makes all the difference. So last night, I was working on my NBA finals column. Charks was a champ and worked on this podcast outline for us to, you know, be riffing on all our draft takes. He's the MVP of this podcast with a State Farm agent on your team. You can have someone who comes in clutch when you need it most. Draft a State Farm agent to your team and save when you combine your home and auto insurance. State Farm, here to help life go right. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere Vodka is all-natural and made with 100% non-GMO Polska rye and pristine water. Belvedere has championed Polska rye vodka and superior natural ingredients since its inception and continues their mission with its new Belvedere Single Estate Rye Series. These award-winning vodkas, Smogori Forest and Lake Bartoszek, are two distinct-tasting vodkas born from unique terroir and expert craftsmanship. I gotta say, if you want to say craftsmanship, your pronunciations there were incredible. I couldn't have done that to save my life. <laughs> Thank you, Sharks. Taste the difference and enjoy Belvedere's new single estate rye vodkas on the rocks or in a delicious cocktail today. Belvedere is a quality choice. Drinking responsibly is too. Hey, everyone. It's producer Bobby here. Just wanted to give you all a quick heads up that we recorded this show this morning before the Torian Prince trade was announced by Woj on Twitter. And there is a decent amount of Torian Prince talk on this podcast. So just please factor in the fact that we didn't know that Atlanta is sending Torian Prince in a 2021st second rounder to Brooklyn for Alan Crabb and the number 17 pick uh, in this year's draft. So uh, take all that with a grain of salt and I hope you enjoy the rest of the pod. Hello, welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is a long two edition of The Corner Three. My name is Danny Shao. I am an associate editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me from Dallas is staff writer Jonathan Charks. How goes it? There's usually one of us missing. We have like a 10% ratio the last few weeks, but we'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, KOC unfortunately could not be uh, joining us on this pod today, but we will soldier on. Uh, as we've been doing all playoffs long, The Corner Three will be diving into the draft later on in the show uh, this time talking about the teams with multiple first-round picks and what they should do with them. But first, I think we have something we need to address. Um, <clears throat> the Raptors are 2-1 and one in the NBA Finals. This is amazing. Lean into it, Danny. Lean this into it. This is amazing. The Raptors beat the Warriors 123-109 in Game 3 on Wednesday. Game 4 is right around the corner. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a really, really incredible performance by the Raptors who basically weathered every storm you know, in, in any other season, the Raptors probably would have lost this game, would have lost it uh, on some sort of demoralizing run by the Warriors. But at every single turn, the Raptors had an answer. Uh, they put up incredible numbers. They were shooting as a team 52% from the field, 44% from three, and 95% from the free throw line. It's really hard to beat a team like that, especially in the finals, especially against a team that's really, really undermanned at this point. What's been your biggest takeaway, Charks, from the series so far? I mean, far? I was going to say, like, that Golden State team they played last night, there wasn't much happening out there. <laughs> like, that was Steph and, like, a G League team almost. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they had that game pretty much won from the jump. It was kind of disappointing. I think for me, the biggest takeaway of these finals, I just wonder, like, is are Golden State's four finals catching up to them in terms of their bodies? Right. That's a lot of wear and tear. That's a lot of miles on your body. And I just kind of wonder if this team is broken down, if they just don't have enough juice. Like, 
they can't win with that roster, I don't think, against Toronto. Yeah, over the past two years, you know, Steve Kerr has mentioned it. He's he specifically, you know, him as a player and as a coach, he knows uh, what fatigue can really do to a team. And, and look, this is a team that is in its fifth straight finals, which hasn't happened since, what, the 60s? The 60s, yeah. yeah and it was the, the, the finals like two rounds back then. It was like 18. <laughs> right. So this is truly like unprecedented territory in in terms of how many minutes they're logging. They're basically playing you know, on average over the past five seasons, 89, 90-game seasons. This is just not sustainable for most professional athletes, even, you know, at the highest caliber. And so, yeah, I mean, it's fair to assume that something's catching up to them. I mean, Clay hasn't missed a game until now. I was thinking about it, like, you look at Miami's roster after those four finals, Wade and Bosch never the same. You look at Cleveland's roster for those four finals. I mean, I guess Kyrie only played three, but Kyrie's been hurt a lot. Kevin Love's been hurt a lot. I wonder, and like you look at like the Bulls, I wonder if those two reset years, you look back at it, like having those two years Jordan didn't play probably did them, probably good for them. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I, I wonder because, I mean, yeah, Clay has never missed, you know, he, he's played 96% of his regular season games. He hadn't missed a single playoff game. I, I mean, it was definitely, he got hip checked and, and he landed awkwardly because he had to kind of account for how he was going to fall. But, you know, these things mount and we don't know when KD's coming back. I think, you know, there, there are murmurs that, you know, he might not come back. There are murmurs that he will. It's really hard to tell where this Warriors team is really going from here. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Clay. I think you like with KD, him being out in the series, it has shown his value. And then Clay's never been out before. You see how important he is to that team. Right. Just in terms of everything he brings on both ends of the floor his shooting ability, his defense, second source of offense. He guards the guy. Steph normally guards on defense. I mean, and then Clay had been guarding Kawhi for stretches earlier in the series. Right. There's just, there's not anyone. I mean, they had no backup for Clay Thompson. I, I, they played Sean Livingston big minutes. That was tough. That was really rough. And, and a strange decision, I thought, uh, because at this point, Sean Livingston's basically a power forward. You know, he he's he's basically shooting. I mean, he's basically a bench player at this point. Yeah, like, like he he has he has range out to fifteen feet. He's not going to be, you know, creating much on the ball, and he's just kind of there. Like I I don't. He's definitely not at the point where he's an Iguodala type presence where oh he can kind of turn it on. You know, there's definitely just, not. <laughs> there's there's nothing there's nothing there for him to really do, especially with this starting lineup that needs spacing so much to allow for Steph to do what he does. Yeah, I guess the other option is Quinn Cook, though. Or yeah. Alfonso McKinney. There's just, there's not much. They need Clay. I think he's coming back for game four. I mean, they really couldn't afford to have him out. Right. Yeah, and he was he was practically begging to play game three. Uh, they wouldn't allow him. But I, I wonder if, you know, if he's not 80%, that's another guy that the Raptors can probably kind of target. And that that was something that they were doing a lot in game four early and often they went at DeMarcus Cousins uh, got him frustrated got him in early foul trouble you know put him out in the perimeter put him in the post Marcus Gasol was basically like you know roasting him um, and you know the the Warriors were such a, a minus when both him and Livingston were on the floor they they were both of them were basically unplayable in the game yeah it's tough for Cousins so this is his fourth playoff game in his career fifth no <laughs> no right yeah, this is his third, right? And he's so it's just like, no, because he played game oh, one against the Clippers, got sure. hurt. So he's basically making his playoff debut. 
while coming back off a torn quad. What did he? It was like sprained his quadricep or something. I forget. Yeah, the I think he, I think he tore tore his quad. Yeah, and then he's playing in the NBA Finals. <laughs> that is a tough. Right. I mean, they got to have more from him to going forward to have a chance. I think because even if Clay comes back. Then he's, if he's more of a spot-up shooter, you need a second source of offense besides Steph. And we saw that. I mean, Steph had like 50 points or something, and it didn't seem like it even mattered because no one else could score or shoot. Yeah. I, I mean, the the running joke in our NBA Slack was, oh, we were we were basically counting the number of points that Steph was um, on on track to score by the end of the fourth quarter. Like, we were doing this like midway through the first, and it didn't matter because the Raptors were on pace to score like 160. It's just like, there's only so much one player can do. I think what you have to do at that point is control tempo a little bit, right? Yeah. It's like, if you go back to the 2015 finals, which is like now like the template for like the one-man show thing. Right. If you're going to have one guy, you've got to keep it close late to steal, steal the game in the fourth quarter. And that's why I think Cuddens is kind of important because you can throw it theoretically. Like all on theory, you throw it inside to him, you let him play inside out, slows the game down because you're, you're really... Until Clay and Kevin Durant come back, you're not going to win many games in the 110s and 120s against Toronto with this roster. It's got to be more of like a 95, 105-point game, probably. Yeah, it's just strange to make that comparison. And, and I did it as well uh, in my column yesterday after the game. It's great, by the way. Read Danny, Danny's you. post-game columns. He's it, been it, killing it. It's just like, you know, you can't really play caveman ball with Steph when his entire game is predicated on beauty. Like, when he is a guy who's moving around, getting everyone else involved, he doesn't have the body. He doesn't, he doesn't have the, the build to really do what LeBron did and kind of muck up the game himself. He really tried at the end when he was getting all those steals and, and diving for loose balls. But, like, you know, there's, a, there's only a certain way he can really affect the game. And it's definitely not by, you know, barreling his way into the lane and, and trying to scrap for free throws. Well, that's where Cousins becomes so important. Yeah. I mean, he had like a pretty good game two and it's a terrible game three. And he's got to meet somewhere in the middle. Right. I think for sure you'll see Toronto attack him again early, get him out of his game. Yeah. I think in game two, they really weren't prepared for what he would do. But game three, they're like, okay, we're going to attack Cousins. We're going to frustrate him. And it really seemed like whenever he couldn't score on Gasol, he just like looked at the refs like, oh, I got fouled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, he was surprised he couldn't score because like he's so limited physically right now. But instead of looking at the rest, like he really can't move like that. He really has to play a more kind of deliberate, slow game, given where he is physically. Yeah, and I thought Nick Nurse had a really good game plan in terms of that. Like really, you know, attack Cousins early on. Uh, and when, you know, they brought on Bogut in the second quarter, he really kind of changed the the game defensively for a bit. Uh, but almost immediately, Nick Nurse was like, okay, well, look, we have to win this game. And so I'm going to make my adjustment right now. Uh, he started Fred Van Vliet in the third quarter. Uh, they, yeah, that was smart. That was they really started smart. attacking Bogut, you know, in in the pick and rolls, bringing you know the screens up high, getting him outside of the paint. Um, yeah, see, I thought folks said he was playing well, but to me, he was kind of a liability in that game. Yeah, like he looked pretty exposed to me by the end of that one. Oh yeah, and and just having Fred Van Vliet out there, um, you know, allowed for Kyle Lowry to basically be free. He he basically didn't have to guard anyone. They put Fred Van Vliet on Curry. Um, I mean, pretty much if you're not guarding Curry, you're not guarding anyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was actually worried uh, that this, the, the mid-game uh, lineup change, starting lineup change, might have affected Danny Green, who was having a really good game. Like, oh, and then suddenly you're, you're demoted. You're going to the bench. Uh, but no, that, that didn't happen. Danny Green had a phenomenal Danny Green finals game. 
Um, Playoff and- legend, finals hero. Did you see that stat they dropped in Slack about his three-point percentage in the finals? Yeah. It's crazy. There what? So there are there is only one player in NBA Finals history who has ever shot 50% from three in like in his finals like career. And it's Danny Green. Well, no, it's it's over 53s. Oh, fi- oh, over fifty threes? Okay. And over fifty threes, he's uh, there's thirty-five guys to do it. He's the only one to be over fifty percent on threes, which is obviously completely insane. That was from that Danny that Danny Green Gary Neal series, right? Yeah, where those two they had like three monster games. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just think uh, Nick Nurse is kind of he's kind of nailing his test right here. Like I think the the team has a full belief in him, and and it's really paying off. I mean, you're seeing why they made the move last year, why they got why they moved off uh, Dwayne Casey. Like the eva- the ability the value of a coach who can quickly identify matchups and be flexible is just so important this late stage of the playoffs. You've got to always be on your toes. I mean, like, yeah, like Kerr going with Livingston, like that probably gave them the game away before it even started. Like right. He just blew a game basically by doing that. And now I'm, I'm sure he won't start in game four. Clay will be back. Or either way, they probably won't start. But it's just those little adjustments over the course of a series. If you can get it earlier, it can save you a whole game. It's so hard for us to say, like, what, the Warriors can do to to get back in the series because really it's just you know get your guys back. If your guys are there, you you have more than a fighting chance. You probably have the series. I mean, to me, it's Cousins. Yeah. I think he suddenly becomes the key for them because this he's such like a theoretically valuable player because not only can he be a low post scorer, he can also be like your second best three point shooter, and he can be a playmaker. Right. I think. I think you've got to get more shooters around Iguodala and Draymond, right? They're at their best when they can pass the ball to somebody else. So if it's not, and, and, and the Raptors aren't going to leave Steph open off the ball. So that means you've got to have a second guy who can score, and that's Draymond and Iguodala passing the Cousins. To me, like, he goes, I'm right with this for Friday, but to me, he goes from like a ne- luxury to a necessity going forward. Yeah. Okay. So assuming Cousins kind of rebounds to his game two form. I mean, that's a big assumption. I hope he can. And they're still without KD. What do the Raptors have to counter that? Well, I mean, I've been saying for a while, I want to see, obviously, I got to see Siakam with the five. Right. I feel like that's the one thing they haven't shown yet. Really all playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was that stat. He's played, what, three minutes without either Gasol or Ibaka uh, in the playoffs this, this season so far? Yeah, and I mean, I think, too, if you're playing him at the five, theoretically, then you're being so much faster. Yeah. And you really keep Golden State in the open court. And I think you spread them out and you just attack all their older. I mean, if you play them in the five against Andrew Bogut, that's that's a bucket every single time. Right. Right. Like, then you're getting an easy 25 points from Siakam. And I think if you get that, plus the points from Kawhi, that should be enough. I mean, Danny, your Raptors are two wins away from an NBA championship. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. I, when did they become your Raptors, by the way? How long has this been going on? I mean... How far do we? How far do we want to go back? I I feel you like tell me. I feel like expert. I have a. I've had a spiritual connection with the team ever since I bought my first NBA poster, which was a Vinsanity poster. Nice. Back in 1999. How old were you at that point? I was eight. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I I've always felt like Toronto was a cool place, even though I'd never been there. I I had no ties with it, but I was just like. Vince Carter made this place cool for me. And ever since, I've always had like a soft spot. Yeah, you and Drake, the two Raptors super fans of the playoffs. (laughs) 
Um, one, one last extremely corner three question for you. Do you think we see OG in this series? It's tough right now. Like you look at Cousins, you bring a guy back in the finals, especially a guy who's not very experienced. It's, it's really, you know, I'd love to see it. Maybe, but I feel like that's the only thing that's going to go wrong for them. For now, that probably go with their veterans. Yeah, it definitely feels like a break in the case of emergency thing. But that would only... I feel like the only feasible way in which OG gets like... Not only just playing time, but like substantial playing time would be if KD comes back and suddenly the, the series just turns on its head. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about OG now. We're deep into corner three uh, meta conversations here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right. I got that out of my system. Uh, but before we get into draft talk, we'll take a quick break. Players and fans prepare all year for the finals. They need to be ready for anything. With a State Farm agent on your team, you can be ready for anything too. They can help you prepare for whatever life throws your way. I mean, look at the finals. Look at Steph Curry. He's always prepared. All of a sudden, he went from playing with Clay and KD to neither one of them. He got like 50 points. So really, Steph probably should those State Farm ads, not Chris Paul, for being honest. <laughs> so talk to a State Farm mission today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you prepare for the unexpected. State Farm, here to help life go right. All right, so now it's time for draft talk. I think we're going to dive into four teams that have multiple first-round picks in the first round and and kind of gauge where they are in terms of their team building process and what they should be doing with these picks. First up is the Atlanta Hawks, who have the number eight and number 10 picks in the lottery. And they also have the 35th, 41st, and 44th pick. So a lot going on here. What do you think their plan is? This is a weird draft to have so many picks because it feels like the talent level after the top, you know, 10 guys is pretty even. Right. So like 35, 41, and 44 could be good players. There are guys like Malcolm Brogdon there. You know, there could be a really good player there, but I think they can't obviously keep all five picks, right? Yeah. They'll have to move some around, either trade them. And I think a lot of these teams have some tough decisions to make in terms of not bringing too many young guys in at the same time. And kind of, because I feel like a young player, it's like a used car. You know, you buy it off the lot and then you drive it off. Loses half its value. He's not playing a lot. So if you draft a guy who can't get a lot of minutes early, then you're pretty much burned an asset. Right. So at 8 and 10, we're probably looking at two prospects who who the Hawks would like to kind of fit into their already pre-existing template. I think a lot of mock drafts have a 3 and D wing like a Cam Reddish going to them at number 8. And with the number 10 pick, I think it's pretty sensible for them to draft a, a rim-protecting big man who can kind of cover up for John Collins. Um, what are you seeing there? Yeah, it seems like... With the players in this range, it's all about building around your pre-existing core. So, so obviously, Trey Young, that's your centerpiece. He was incredible last year. Second, probably runoff rookie of the year, I'd assume. Absolutely. And then your guy, Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter. Who is incredible. He had like, I would say he's probably the most impressive rookie season in terms of where he was drafted in terms of his production. Yeah, I, I think... One thing with him is just he definitely surprised in, in how quickly he was able to acclimate to the NBA, to basically just spacing for others in the NBA game. I think he's kind of taken up that kind of clay, um, J.J. Redick mantle where, look, if you can shoot from anywhere on the court in many different ways, off movement, you know, on spot ups, you create so many opportunities for everyone else. And it just made Trey's life so much easier. 
And he's so big too. Like yeah. how big is Herter? He's about six seven. Yeah, he's a really big shooter. And he's six, got seven. handles and passing ability too for a guy that size. He can definitely make plays off the dribble. He's comfortable being that kind of secondary, tertiary uh ball creator. Yeah, and and he's he's athletic. Like he's he's a good athlete. He's a what's a surprisingly athletic, effectively athletic. <laughs> Guess so. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, yeah, and and the last guy would be John Collins, who had a very very solid, you know, twenty and ten type, you know, you know, stats munching season. Yeah, to me, the thing I would try to figure out for Atlanta is like, how do you see Herder and Collins going forward? What what roles make most sense for them? So Herder is going to be one of your starting wings. So I think the question for me is, if you have Trey Young and you have Herder at one wing, who's going to guard opposing point guards in a playoff series? Right? We saw with you know Steph and Clay. Having that ability to have someone else guard the ball is so important. I don't. I think Trey obviously can hide as much as possible. Yeah. So I feel like you've got to find someone in this draft who can really defend on the perimeter while still shooting the ball. And so the, I mean, the most obvious answer would probably be Cam Reddish. Who Do you think he can guard point guards though? He's so big. He's so big, but I think his, I think his ability to move is is probably one of the best assets he has like in terms of things that aren't just theoretical yeah i've come around on him i think like if you look at his numbers like the three things that he had does well is steal rate free throws and threes and like if he goes to atlanta that's all he has to do right like he can just spot up off the ball you know play defense multiple positions and you've got herder and reddish on the wings next to trey like to me that would be really not and I think like if you ask Reddish to go somewhere where he has to be the man, where he has to do a whole lot of creating and I'm not sure it's going to work, but you can move him somewhere in a smaller role where he can spot up off the ball. He could be pretty effective. To me, do you think he'll be there at eight and do you think they'll try to go up and get him? I feel like he's a Hawks player. Yeah, he definitely feels like Hawks player and I, I just don't think he's a, he has necessarily the production level to, to necessitate like trading up for him. I, I don't know. Um, I, but I also feel like with who Cam Reddish is, is, you know, being represented by and, and how he can definitely look the part of a star. I think he's, I think he's probably moving into the top five once it's all said yeah, and done. I mean, you, you look at like him being a volume three point shooter, be really nice. So that's something to think about. And then they have like, you think they'll trade. I remember KOC was saying that they could trade Tori and Prince earlier yeah. this season. I mean, and he's kind of the other, the unknown in their, in their core going forward. Torian Prince packaged with some of these picks could probably net something pretty good. I mean, if I was the Lakers or the Knicks, I would love to get Torian. He's like the perfect guy next to LeBron or KD or someone like that. Absolutely. Right? He's, and you still get a top 10 pick out of it. Yeah. Torian Prince, I kind of projected before the season started, oh, he was going to kind of be the Hawks breakout player. Trey Young might take some time to acclimate. Uh, things didn't really go as planned for him. He kind of he got, got hurt, lost. Right? Yeah, he got hurt. He got, he got lost in the shuffle. Uh, he kind of stagnated in terms of his statistical production. But you're looking at a guy who's six eight, strong body, can play multiple positions, can defend multiple positions, can shoot threes. Uh, is you know comfortable making plays out of the pick and roll. Like at baseline, that's a that's a player that the Rockets could have absolutely used. He's a he's a player that makes sense for a lot of teams trying to win now. Yeah, I think we're both Team Tory and Prince is where we're a little surprised about the trade deal rumors. Yeah, I, I just I don't know where he fits, especially guess, if, if they're. Got, do you have to pay him this summer? Is he up? Um, Probably for an extension, he right? Is, at this point. He is a restricted free agent in 2020. 
I guess that's what it is. He's going to want a lot of money. Yeah. And so that kind of doesn't necessarily fit with the timeline of everyone else on their roster. Um, John Collins is in a, you know, he's probably going to be getting his extension in 2020 as well. So Collins is the other guy too. And I think with Collins, fit is so important because I look at the guys who could be there on a front court basis. It's all about how do you make sense next to John Collins? Like, do you trust Collins is shot enough to where you can play another non-shooter next to him? Or do you like want a bigger player who can kind of cover him defensively? I, I think that's why a guy like Dwayne Dedman make, made so much sense. Yeah, in he the was interim. an underrated part of their team for sure. Absolutely. A guy who, can, who was not afraid to shoot threes. I think he shot like two attempts per game. Uh, a legit rim protector. Just a guy who knew his role and, and Do you remember it. Dwayne Dedman coming out of college? Can you imagine becoming a three-point shooter? That's I could, crazy. actually. Oh, really? Yeah, like he, nice. he had like the like baseline like look of a guy who could stretch the floor. He just didn't have the percentages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, this is, this is why I think I wonder about... I think that every, the guy everyone's starting to fall in love with in this draft is Nick Claxton. Right. The Georgia big... Georgia big man. I'm sure the Hawks have scouted him pretty carefully. <laughs> right on the street. Yeah, he's he's interesting. He's definitely a theoretical shooter, right? With his size and like he played, he handled the ball a lot for six foot eleven guy. Probably, I think too he much. took a couple threes. He didn't make a lot of them, but he he, he looked good shooting them. He kind of looked good shooting them. Like when I was shooting, when I was watching him play, I'm like, man, for a lefty shooter, he's not. He doesn't have a, the most beautiful shot. Like I think it's mostly his his body, how yeah. how it kind of contorts with his shot along with his shot that kind of made it a little ugly, but. Yeah, anyway, like he he definitely has the theoretical ability. It's something that uh KOC And he can is, pass the ball too for a big guy. He oh, can pass yeah. and dribble a bit. He like if you watch any of his highlight reels, most of them are just him taking the ball up the floor uh and kind of ISOing by himself. It's it's kind of remarkable to see how fluid he is and how fluidly yeah. athletic he is. Um I worry about I, his frame. I remember watching the Texas game and then at one point he hits a three on Hayes. And I'm like, Hayes will never do that. <laughs> I feel like, I was like, I, I like Hayes, the Texas guy, but asking him to ever do that is kind of a stretch probably. Yeah. The thing about his playmaking ability and his ability to handle the ball is like, you can definitely see a lot of, you know, short roll potential for him in the pick and roll. Uh, I don't think he was involved too much in the pick and rolls in, in Georgia, but I mean, when you have that kind of feel for, you know, everyone around you and and you yeah play with Trey Young too right. all of a sudden you have a lot of open up and up it's like short rolling like right. the Draymond to his staff yeah and, and if and if Travis Schlenk is really trying to build up this template I think Nick Claxton is probably the closest you're going to be getting to a rim protecting short rolling guy who can make plays off the dribble and potentially shoot threes which we should acknowledge is crazy to talk about him as a top 10 pick I think he was his second rounder like a couple weeks ago right so we're in that we're in that start of the, the draft season we're just speculating wildly I think he had a really good game in the scrimmages and it's like you know what that's enough let's gamble on him <laughs> but, but it's also like the Hawks have so much flexibility they can absolutely trade down if they feel like he might not be worth you know drafting very high yeah that's true uh, but yeah, it just seems like su- such a more sensible option than drafting Jackson Hayes at, at number 10. Yeah, that's what we're, we're both kind of not real big on Hayes because of that. He's so far away skill-wise. What about our guy Brandon Clark, though? Clark and Collins would be kind of crazy, too. I mean, that would be like, it wouldn't even be small ball because it's not an option. Like, they would just both be pretty small players. Isn't that like the, but that wouldn't that be the fastest big man in the league by oh, far? Oh, absolutely. 
Like, can you imagine the lobs? Clark. Oh, man. Yeah. Clark and Collins catching lobs from Trey. That'd be the most exciting team in the league. Well, one of the most. That's a super, at least for a guy someone else to the corner three. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be a super, <laughs> super fun team. I just wonder, like, for all the advancements that John Collins made on offense, he still was very much a negative on defense. And I, like, Brandon Clark is probably not big enough to cover for a lot of his, his miscues. I would say he could, well, he blocked a lot of shots, mm. right? He could yeah. protect the rim pretty well. I mean, and, and also the thing with the Hawks is that they're, I guess, uniquely suited because they do have a bunch of platoon big men on the yeah, bench. Yeah, they can for move things to, around. Yeah, I Alex Lenn is there. I think you pay Deadman, Lenny's minutes at center. You kind of have a fun little mix and match. I like this. If they can get Brandon Clark and Cameron Madison in this draft, I'm, the Hawks are going to be fun, man. I mean, there, yeah, there's no complaints uh, here. I, I was just wondering in terms of like long-term potential, do you see a John Collins, Brandon Clark front court? Well, you know me, I'm a small ball evangelist. Like I'm going to go for so, it. So you're seeing five, down the five years down the line, everyone's going to look like this anyway. So the Hawks might as well be ahead of the curve. Well, I mean, right? You got Giannis. If you're going to play against Giannis in the playoffs a lot, which you probably are. I want to have a lot of long, fast, small guys to run with them and jump with them, you know? Man, that is tantalizing. And who knows? Maybe maybe the Hawks end up with their version of KD somewhere down the line as well. Really, really lock in that Warriors template. Well, <laughs> you can get a version <laughs> of Kevin Durant. That's probably worth doing no matter any team. Uh, another team with a lottery pick, but also multiple draft picks in the later parts of the first round is the Boston Celtics. They have the 14th pick, the 20th pick, and the 22nd pick. Do they have any seconds in this draft? Uh, they, yes. They have the 51st. Good man, okay. They've, so, got a way, they've got a ton of picks. It's crazy. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. Always. Always. And I think for the most part, our mock draft, mock drafts from around every single corner of the internet, uh, typically has the Celtics drafting kind of Roll of the dice players, guys who, you know, may need time to develop, but have, you know, elite upside. Uh, we're looking at Kevin Porter Jr. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, what, Bull Bull a couple yeah. times as well. What do you really make of this situation? And is there anything to really make of it until the Kyrie situation is resolved? It kind of seems resolved right now, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, who so, knows, right? Sure. So he's... It seems like he's on his way out. He's already kind of using the wave wave emoji on uh, Instagram, although probably was not directly in relation to his free agency status. But, you know, I, I, it seems like the writing's on the wall. Yeah. So uh, what I was thinking is, what about trading one of those picks for someone like Mike Conley? Mm. Does that kind of make sense? It's like a Kyrie replacement? Okay. So, yeah. So that that's assuming the Grizzlies draft John Morant. Draft yeah. John Morant. They... So it would be a pick, and would would they need to throw in how much filler would they need to throw in there? Yeah, that is the tough part. I think if you like, you try me trade Marcus Smart. He's your one movable salary. But I wonder if you're going to lose Kyrie, and you don't you don't want to bring in three rookies. I feel like you got to make some moves unless you're going to trust Terry Rozier to run point next season. <laughs> Disgruntled Terry Rozier. Well, he, he'll be gruntled now without yeah. Kyrie there. <laughs> But I guess we'll, he'll want a bunch of money. That's the tough part. Right. You probably can't pay Rozier big money after what he did this season. It, it feels like there's going to be a lot of movement in this draft regardless, just given all the players, given all of the, I don't know, the, all, all of the hoopla around AD and, and who's going to make the move. I, I, 
I can't see the Celtics keeping all of these picks, but if they were to keep, you know, the 14th per se, like what kind of player do you think they, they should be targeting? I feel like if you're building long term, you've got to find some kind of Horford replacement. I mean, how he's like thir- mid 30s now. He's slowing down. He probably had his worst regular season in a while. And I don't, you know, I the question is, I guess, like, does Robert Williams matter? Is he part of your long term plan? I mean, he didn't really play this season. Nope. Then, I, I mean, yeah, the the biggest contribution he had was was adding to NBA meme yeah. culture with his nickname. <laughs> truly, so I, I don't I don't think there there's much incentive for them to really invest much into Robert Williams at this point. So, but even then, like, was he going to be the Al Horford replacement? Is there an Al Horford replacement in this draft? I mean, I guess tough, right? I think Williams is more of like a straight pick and roll guy. Straight pick and roll, But though he does have some skills for a big man. He's not like totally unskilled. Right. Although, he he was one of those guys who was just like, I'm going to return to school and I'm going to show you a completely different aspect of my game. And he returned (laughs) and showed none of it. He actually got, got suspended like twice. Yeah, and I think he actually shot worse in his second year than his first year from the from the outside. So I was just like, okay, well, I still like you as a prospect as like an super athletic rim protector, but like you didn't really show anything new. Yeah, I mean they were playing him at the three for a while. It was a kind of disaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think for me, if you're guys who can fit the Horford mold, that's why I have some high on guys like Clark and possibly Claxton. It's like there's just not many skilled big men. Right who can really do multiple things. Because I think look, going forward, you got to think, okay, my core is Jalen and Jason, right? Those are my two young guys I'm building around now. Yep. If, if Kyrie walks. If Kyrie walks so the, and if they don't trade for AD. Which maybe, like, maybe, what does Kawhi's thing help you make that decision if you're Boston? Like, just go for it mm. with one season? I mean, it, it really depends on what the package the Celtics are throwing out there is. Yeah. Like, if if they're trading both Jalen and Jason and then what you're tossing in smart as well I don't know there there might not be a lot left yeah and we've kind of seen AD doesn't really like carry a team by himself he isn't like Kawhi I don't think in terms of just being able to obviously not being able to handle the ball right yeah I mean I feel like now you're looking more of a medium rebuilt it's kind of crazy <laughs> how fast these things turn I know I I was just thinking that I was like when we're thinking about what kind of player they should be targeting it's like well, maybe they go for home runs here because, like, the the landscape can change so quickly. All of these teams are supposedly in the running for AD, supposedly in the running for, you know, the three or four important free agents in the season. Not all of them are going to be able to get them. So maybe you want to load up and, and hope that you have enough of a a youth movement in your core that you can kind of weather the storm. Things turn, change fast in the league for sure. I think I mean I think they've got their wings at that point. So then it's just finding more of a bigger player. Maybe finding I think finding a playmaker. I, I would want to get a playmaker out of one of these picks. Given that's probably the biggest limitation in Tatum Brown's game is playmaking. Yeah. Is this a spot for a guy like Goga? That'd be interesting because he can kind of space the floor too mm-hmm. as a big man. That's another I'd be an interesting guy too. Maybe you go smaller, get like a PJ Washington. He kind of gives you some interesting uh, small ball five potential. Yeah, then bowl, bowl, roll the dice. That might be a spot. Maybe he's made more at 20 or 22. I can just feel the momentum from our podcast like just sapped <laughs> right when we started talking about the Celtics. It's just like, 
where they were at the beginning of this season to where they are now in terms of optics and in terms of just like the clarity of their future, it, it's night and day. It's incredible. But let us say like these can, these things can change fast the other way too. Yeah. Like we'll overreact. If they make a big trade next week, we'll overreact and be all on the Celtics train again. So they're going to, I think they're going to have maybe the most interesting draft night in terms of just all the different things they could be doing. Speaking of a team that is currently holding on to Kyrie, apparently, Here we go. apparently, here's a segue. Apparently, the Nets are one of the favored teams to land Kyrie uh, once free agency uh, swings around. The Nets have the 17th and 27th pick in this draft. Um, we're talking about them as a potential Kyrie destination. That could throw a lot of things off in terms of their calculus. Uh, I mean, should we start with their their draft prospects, or should we should we start with D'Angelo Russell and where he? It fits seems now? like that's the big question now, yeah. right? Like, would you rather have D'Angelo or Kyrie if you're the Nets going forward? How old do you think Kyrie is? He's like 27. He is 27, which like is baffling to me because of all of his injuries over the years, and it's just like every time you see him and he's struggling, it's like, oh man, is this guy cooked? <laughs> Yeah. And it's just like, oh no, he's 27. He should he's be been in the league prime what, right seven, now. eight years now? Yeah, since he was drafted in 2011. So eight years. It's wild. You do wonder physically how he's going to handle the next four years, especially if he's going to be a high usage guy. Right. Yeah. And, and his performance against the Bucks, against their length, uh, was not necessarily the most encouraging sign to be, you know, it wasn't the most encouraging final impression to be making before your free agency bid. Um, then again, D'Angelo didn't exactly play well against the Sixers. It's true. It's true. But the difference there is D'Angelo is going to be turning 23. Yeah, he's so young. He's so young. And he was finally starting to pick it up uh, at the at the end of the season. The final 20 games, he was averaging 24 and 7, 20, 24 and 8 uh, for the Nets uh, with respectable percentages from the field, the three-point uh, the three-point line, and from free throw. So, personally, I don't think the Nets are necessarily in a position where they have to force, you know, a win-now mentality. I think they have enough flexibility where they can kind of ride it out and see how this all shakes out. I guess it depends. Like, do you believe in Kyrie's ability to attract star free agents? Sure. Like, that's a thing people have been saying for a while, but it hasn't actually happened. Like, this will actually be our first test this summer. Because I think Kyrie is not enough by himself. Right. You have to bring in at least, if not a Kevin Durant, a Jimmy Butler, someone on that level. If it's just Kyrie and a bunch of young guys, we just saw that. Though I heard an interesting theory the other day about that. And they were saying the biggest problem for Kyrie, I mean, was him getting injured and the young guys succeeding without him. Right. Because then it's like, I, I know how to get to conference. I did it myself. Like, I don't need your help helping me do that. Whereas a team like the Nets, maybe he could actually sell his final experience as a positive and be like, I've learned. I've done it. Maybe they, maybe they fall in line more easily than guys who are to do without him. Now, the problem here is that, I mean, free agency is obviously after the draft. And so what kind of mentality are you supposed to be taking into the draft? Because the Nets are basically in position and in the conversation for every single one of these players. They're in the AD talks, they're in the Kyrie talks, they're in the KD talks, Jimmy Butler. They've all expressed some sort of interest through third, fourth parties. So where where do you really go from here? Do you assume that you're not favored to land any of them and so you just kind of plan for the core you have? See, I think for sure at 27, you probably just want to 
just draft and stash someone, right? Try right. to like extend the life of the asset. So just like take Samanich or whatever European is there. And that way, at least you can use them to trade down the line. It was kind of like, you remember with Ante Zizic yeah. in, the, in the Celtics? He, he wasn't very good, it turns out, but they drafted him and stashed him for like two years. And then he still had first round value in a trade, which he made for, the, for Kyrie Irving. Right. I think for sure if with the Nets, that second, 20, at number 27, you just draft whoever, because you're not going to have a guy who's going to play very much. You have a pretty deep team. Mm-hmm. So I think you only get one player out of this draft. So right now, there a lot of mocks seem to project the Nets picking a big man. Uh, Goga Batadze has been there. Um, Kevin Gale has, has been uh, mocked to them. I think we've seen PJ Washington in, in past mock drafts as well. Ooh, I'd love... Do you think he'll last a 17? I, I don't feel think... like he's not going to go that... I don't think so, but who knows? Maybe, maybe there, there's some slippage there in terms of, oh, maybe he's undersized to be playing his position or whatever. Um, but it, it's an interesting question about whether or not they need another big man, given the fact that Jared Allen has progressed the way he has. But if you look at the roster, Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, most of their bigs and small ball fours are up for free agency. So they might want to just grab a cheap platoon big man uh, and worry about, you know, filling other positions in free agency. That could be an, uh, a strategy for them as well. Yeah, they've got a pretty deep team in terms of young guys. They got my guy Rodian's Kurix, of course. Yep. You know, Trevion Grant had a good good year. Lavert, he came back. Dinwiddie. So I could, Hollis Jefferson. Do you think all those guys are going to stay long-term? I mean... <sighs> I can't really see them committing to RHJ. He yeah. like at this point, what he's he's a five. He's a, he's a six foot six five. Yeah, and there's not many guys who can actually pull that off. Right. I mean, he's he's a phenomenal athlete, but I, I don't think in the in the net system right now he really fits anywhere. Given what Jared Allen can do, and you know uh, what they could potentially be getting out of you know Rodion's as as a long term four. Yeah, and you saw what Allen happened against Embiid in the playoffs. That was tough. Yeah. So if you have you have a guy like Embiid, probably going to be in the conference for a long time. I can see getting a bigger. You need a bigger body at center for that platoon. That would make sense to me. I mean, I think Goga would be perfect for them there. Mm-hmm. If he lands his last seventeen, I don't know, but that'd make a ton of sense. I feel like Cabin Gelly. I mean, obviously he's not nearly as skilled as Goga. I wonder if he really. He's not that. He's not that big against a guy like Embiid. I wonder if he's going to give much value there. Right. And the other thing about the Nets is just their glut of wings. They have a bunch of wings, and we're not really sure, you know. Basically, all of the players that are highly touted in the free agency market are perimeter players, ball creators. Where do a lot of their wings currently on their roster kind of fit in that orbit? I will say, did you think by the end of that series, Karis LeVert had been their best player? against the Sixers. I feel like he kind of reestablished himself. Right. Because he got hurt being in the season and then D'Angelo took over. But I'll have to go back and look at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure Karras was really carrying that team in that first round series against Philadelphia. I mean, it was, it took a while because he kind of had to take some, you know, regular season reps to kind of get his feeling back. He, he really was kind of hesitant on driving the ball and kind of finishing around the rim. But by the time he was playing the Sixers, I, I think there was a quote actually uh, during that series. He was just like, "Yeah, I, I felt it. Like I feel like I'm I'm myself again." And so that that's a that's a really promising thing to to have uh, heading into this free agency market. Like if you s- swing and miss on a guy like Jimmy Butler, you still have 
a kind of guy who projects as a star wing for you. Yeah, and that's what I wanted with Russell, whether he's ultimately better as a number two option. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the net system really makes point guards look good. They're kind of a lot like the Rockets. They play spread pick and roll the whole game. They always have enough shooters out there. It's pick and rolls all the time. So it's a pretty easy way to pick up stats. So like, I wonder with Russell, like, do you think he's a max player? So we'll go back to D'Angelo. I mean, he's, he's going to get paid like one, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess for sh- if you're like... You're 23. You, Utah or Indiana, right? Yeah. Give him number two behind uh, Oladipo and Mitchell. If he'll go for that, that would make a lot of sense. Absolutely. And, and by, the, by the end of his contract, he will be squarely in the prime of his career. He'll be the same age Kyrie is now. Yeah. And point guards do always tend to... It seems like they really take a while to, take, to come along. Like it's a very slow developing position these days. Yeah, and, and I, he's really big for his size. For his position. very big, six five. I, I think uh, just the improvement that he showed in the second half of the season, uh, when he kind of had to take the mantle of best player, was promising. Uh, and I think he has enough secondary uh, talent to kind of take that back seat. I don't know. Yeah, I, see, I, I think it's interesting. I wouldn't mind going with Russell and Levert going forward as my two. Right, right. That's the pretty solid group. Man, if Kyrie messes this up again, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'll be tough Kyrie and Russell on the same backcourt, right? If you're, bo- if you're paying them both max contracts. Oh, yeah. No, that's not going to happen, especially because they already have Dinwiddie. Yeah, there's a lot of guys who need the ball. There's a lot of guys who like are basically pick-and-roll oriented. So D'Angelo could really be moving, and he could really kind of shift things around for some teams. Utah should definitely have a, a, take a big, strong look at him. Like, that would be interesting, pairing him and Mitchell. And Mitchell could theoretically guard the tougher guy in the perimeter anyways. Absolutely. So he kind of covers for some of D'Angelo's. And if you're Utah, how often do you ever get a 23-year-old all-star to come play for you? Oh, man. What, what a... What a It'd be tough for D'Angelo. It would be very tough. Yeah, Brooklyn that... <laughs> to go to Salt Lake City. <laughs> I don't know if he's about that life. I don't know. He's a fascinating free agent. I really haven't thought much about D'Angelo, but he is fascinating. He's kind of like under the radar as a free agent this offseason. Yeah, and look, especially if, if Kyrie is, is seriously considering Brooklyn as his number one potential I mean, destination. Who, knows, right? who, who really knows? Maybe he goes to the Lakers. I mean, there's no way to say at this point. Yeah. I guess as we get back to draft talk, I think, I think going for a big at 17 makes sense for the Nets. And I, I, I'd suspect they'll just draft the draft stash guy at 27. Mm-hmm. So this was the pick they got for taking on Kenneth Fareed. And they, they drafted Kurix and Musa last year, so they probably have pretty good European connections to be taking the guy. Do you know much about Somnich? I haven't even seen him much. He's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of like more of the typical, quote-unquote, like stereotypical uh, European big. Very fluid, can, can shoot a bit, but you wonder if like, he can actually play center. Yeah, I only think I remember I watched him at Basketball Without Borders last year. And all I can remember is like he was wearing like a t-shirt under his jersey. Mm-hmm. It was a tough look for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these really athletic guys. You had Siku Dumbaya out there. Yeah. And then like Sam, they were like, okay, the big two guys in this in this class are Samich and Dumbaya. And Dumbaya is like this physical freak running around the court. And Samich is just, you know, wearing a white tee, <laughs> missing jump shots. He had a really tough camp. I heard he's done, done better this season since then. So I don't know. Yeah, I think KOC has him uh, in his... I think he has him in, in the first round, and I think he has him as like his 28th prospect. I, I could I be could wrong I can see there. him going to like Brooklyn or San Antonio, the other team we're going to talk about. It Absolutely. would make sense for both those teams to stash somebody. 
That's a pretty good segue there. Uh, let's talk yeah. about the Spurs, who have the 19th and 29th pick in this draft. And, you know, we were just talking about Samanich as a, you know, a Spursy type pick, but what does that really mean anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. You think of the Spurs, you think, oh, they're going to draft like a really older veteran player, a lot of experience, kind of understands their system. And so that's like, oh, great, Williams makes sense in the Spurs or a, or a European player. But really, like the last few years, they've been drafting like raw athletes. Yeah, they haven't it, actually drafted a European prospect since 2015. And that kind of room came over. Yeah. The, so since 2016, they've drafted DeJounte Murray, Jaron Blossom Game, Derek, Derek White, Chemezi Metu, and Lonnie Walker. That's, those are not bad picks. For no? sure, White and Murray. White had a, uh, he had a breakout postseason. Murray will be coming back next year. Then you have Lonnie Walker. It's like they have like two different teams now. They have all these young guards and they've got DeMar and LaMarcus. They got the, the sacrificial lamb planned for the Spurs now. <laughs> right. And, and it's kind of this weird, I don't know, transition that they're going to have to eventually account for because next year, you're definitely trying to develop Derek White. You're definitely trying to get DeJounte back in the mix. So those two are going to be your, your backcourt of the future, presumably, right? How do they fit um, Damar and DeJounte together? That's going to be interesting. I think, I think Pop ended up saying in his exit interview that he should have forced Damar to take more threes. So I think we're just going to... Wow, he said that? I think we're just going to start with that narrative again where Damar is going to be going to talk about how he's going to shoot more threes. And he's going to... he took like, what, 0.3 three-pointers last year? It was, it was like a full, like, a full-on... I don't even know, like, regression. Like, he, he went all the way back to classic DeMar DeRozan after his final season with the Raptors where he's like, yeah, I'm going to start taking threes now. I do feel like they found something at point guard, though. Yeah. Like, if he's not going to shoot threes, you probably want him attacking the rim and making... He had, that, that was impressive. He had 6.2 assists, career high. I, I don't know how that's going to work. I think both those guys are maybe best at point guard going forward. Yeah, so you have... So you... Well, I mean, ultimately... It's kind of what you want in that you have three legit ball creators in that starting lineup, but when only one of them can hit threes, that kind of mucks things yeah, up. Defeats, I guess. It kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, <laughs> I guess they don't shoot threes anyways. They'll right. just run a million sets to get 18 foot post ups for Lamarcus. At this point, I'm I'm thinking the Spurs probably need a long term big man prospect to develop. I feel like they need shooting. I don't know if they see it that way, though. <laughs> yeah. And 19 and 29, there will be plenty of potential 3 and D type players. Casey Akpala will be there. Uh, a lot of guys, Lugens Dort will be there. The, these, like a lot of theor theor theoretical uh, 3 and D guys will be there for them to develop. But like when you have a guy like Lonnie Walker and you have uh, DeJounte Murray, who you're trying to almost built from the build from the ground up with his ACL injury is that too much player development for them to to handle in one in one go I mean I suppose they have to start thinking about you know transitioning like you've already got I think you go with the best this is definitely a draft where like scouting becomes very important right what they're where they're sitting at because between 19 and 40 in this draft it really could I could see the the player at 40 compared to the player at 19 yeah easily so I don't know who they go for here I mean, those names didn't really excite me too much that you threw out there earlier. <laughs> who, are they being, who are they being mocked to a lot? It's kind of all over the place, all over the map, isn't it? 
I feel like it, yeah, because everyone kind of has their own idea of what a Spurs player is. Yeah, like uh, Tankathon has Bruno Fernando going there. Uh, yeah, ESPN has Goga going there and going at 19. And at 29, we're looking at Darius Basley. So another like long oh, that would shot, make sense. you know. Yeah. I'll give a shot to my guy, Cam Johnson. I oh, think he'd yeah, be great absolutely. for the Spurs. That'd be the guy I'd want. He's six foot nine. I think he's probably the best shooter in this draft, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, in terms, yeah, absolutely. In terms of percentages and just sheer volume, I would say so. And he can sh- he can shoot off movement. He can spread the floor. Yeah, I think he shot like forty eight percent from three. And he's six foot nine, and he's not like unathletic. He's probably an average NBA athlete. I think he can hang on defense. And for a guy that size, see money from three, that'd be nice to have on this team. Yeah, I, I do wonder about their strategy long term. If they, like, the the Spurs, especially with two picks, you're always kind of assuming that they're going to stash one of them. But at the same time, this team doesn't necessarily have a lot of, I don't know, compelling talent on their roster. So you might as well get as they many. They got two all-stars, you know. Danny. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> about that. I mean, like, it, sure, sure. But at, at a certain point, I guess they're, they're going to have to transition uh, away from... Ooh. I got a couple of names for you for that second pick. Yeah. How about Carson Edwards? Kind of be a Patty Mills replacement. Oh. He'd make a lot of sense next to DeJounte Murray, a guy who can really, really shoot threes. I don't know if they need a replacement. He's, he's up in 2021. Well, you know, you got two picks. <laughs> he's getting older. And oh, the yeah, other guy no, but absolutely. Uh, Carson be, Edwards um, is a guy who's like, I actually really like as, as a late first round uh, pick. I think he's outside of my top 30 big board, but he makes a lot of sense for a lot of those teams uh, just in need of a scoring punch. He's not going to be shooting as many threes as he did in, in Purdue, but the fact that he has the confidence to do that and I mean, why, kind of has Why like, not though, right? Yeah. If he's playing off DeJounte Murray, his only job is to shoot threes. He could take like seven or eight easily. Ooh, off the bench? Eventually, maybe even starting. I don't know if he could start. Maybe not defensively. Right. I think I have him in my top. I have my top 25, I think. I think I think it's possible he's better than Darius. We were talking about this earlier. Like he's better than Darius Garland. They have the same basic skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really with with Garland, we're we're looking at a five game sample size in college, and then whatever tape we can possibly muster off of his AAU and, and high school career. So when you look at his his raw skill set, you see the kind of outline of of a modern point guard in the you know Damian Lillard, Trey Young, Kyrie Irving mold, but. Still, there's not a lot to go off of. And ultimately, look, if you're just going to be bombing threes, Carson Edwards can do that too. Yeah, I guess, which I guess I don't know if the Spurs would do that. The other guy <laughs> I think would be, it makes sense would be Okiki. Yes. That way you can just like, he, he's out the whole season with a torn ACL. I bet he got a promise day in the draft. He said he has come to his position. A team with multiple first round picks could promise and let him rest all season, not need to the play. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Chumo Kiki had such an incredible tournament run before he tore his ACL. Uh, super versatile defender who just knows how to play the game. He's a he's a great three point shooter at his position. Can defend multiple positions and it just like really knows the game. Can make plays off off the dribble. Uh, I mean, this is one of your others. guys in the draft, right, Danny? Yeah, I, I really, I really, really like him. Uh, just kind of wish he didn't end his year the way it did, but I can see him definitely as a Spurs type player. Nets too. That's the mm-hmm. I think the Nets at twenty seven that make a lot of sense actually to go after Okiki. You know, for all people say like, oh, it's a weak draft, it's always weak draft in the twenties generally. 
Mm-hmm. Your odds of getting a good player there are never that good. So just more about your ability to identify talent, find a role for them. Yeah, identifying the role that you're going to be putting these these kids into, pretty much. And wouldn't you say these are four of the better drafting teams in the league? Hawks, Celtics, Nets, and Spurs. Yeah. I feel like they've all done a pretty good job recently of hitting hitting on guys. I mean, especially with with Schlank being the guy at the Hawks, he's in his first year there, he really kind of showed he has he has a solid game plan and he he has a vision. Uh, everyone else has the kind of pedigree. So Yeah. So I, I feel like all these teams could get really better. And this is a draft where I think in five, ten years, a guy taking the twenties will probably be the one of the top five players in this draft, right? That seems pretty safe. Who I don't know who it is. If I did, I'd be working for an NBA team. But I feel like one of these guys is going to rise up pretty fast in a couple of years. Classic Sharks take. I think that's a good time to wrap this up. Uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, and then check out our Ringer NBA draft guide. I think we did some updates. Yep, we got the top 60 mock draft out there. Kevin O'Connor has his top 60 uh, big board. Me and Sharks have a top 30 big board. Uh, check that all out. It's out on the ringer.com. We have a yeah. bunch of finals content for you waiting for your hungry, hungry eyes. He had a good piece about uh, possible Draymond's and Van Vliet's today. Oh, yeah. So uh, check that out, and uh, we'll see you next time.